0: Chapter 6, starting verse 35 and then skipping forty-one to, to 41 to 51. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now down to 41. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this, a, is this not Jesus? The son of Joseph, his father and mother, we know. How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread I came down from heaven, Anyone eats of this bread, they will never die. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. In the book, The Divide, the author describes the day Maria Espinosa got a knock on her door. A man at the door pointed to an ID badge pinned to his shirt, sort of pushed his way past her and started wandering through her home, claiming it was a home inspection. And then while rifling through a uh, bedroom drawer, he took his pencil and pulled up by the, uh, and held up on the eraser uh, a pair of her underwear. And with it dangling in front of her, he, made, he accused her of lying on her food stamp application, saying, these seem a little sexy for someone who claims to live alone. It's a little bizarre. This pair of underwear suddenly became something more than a pair of underwear. This small garment was suddenly a, a portal, a, a, an entry point into, in this guy's mind, into some larger story. It's a story story confirming his fears, his suspicions, that women like Maria were gaming the system, taking advantage of hard-earned taxpayer money. And it makes sense that we don't want those whom we support with our tax dollars to get away with fraud. But you know, billions of tax dollars bailed out banks and other corporations after many of them had made some really irresponsible decisions. And it's not, you know, this is 2008, but that wasn't the first time. I mean, every 10 years or so, there's some other financial crisis. So that we're led to believe it's inevitable. and So we bail them out again. But, you know, the fact is, they're not inevitable. Ask Canada. Canada has not had any of the scandals we've had. So... Maybe the problem is is that the financial sector deals in numbers too hard for us to even wrap our heads around. We don't have portals, little entry points. We don't have something we can dangle on a pencil in front of some bank executive, something that will wave in their face and say, well, this seems a little risky given your capacity to bring down the world's financial markets. We need little portals. We, look in some, we need them so badly, sometimes we just invent them when they're not there, even when it's just a pair of underwear, because we want to understand these big things, and so we look for the little things to explain them. Like I said, today, we're, as we just read, we're looking again at John chapter 6. John refers to miracles as signs, portals. They point beyond themselves. They're portals into something much larger. Chapter 6 begins with the feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness. And what follows after that is this long debate as to what that meant. What it says about Jesus and what he's doing. And Jesus is claiming that it is a sort of portal. That kid's lunch that they use to feed the 5,000. It's just a small, ordinary thing that points to something larger and profound. It's a sign that God is on the move. And initially, the crowd seemed to agree. You know, when he, has, he feeds the 5,000, they're ready to have this start an uprising. And Jesus does not directly ever address this. Does directly ever challenge them on this? At least not verbally. The way he challenges them is sort of physically. They try to do it, and he hides. He makes it impossible to do what they want to do. They can't force their interpretation on him. When the crowds catch up with Jesus again, the discussion continues. We did, you know, it's, beneath all this is: were we not getting it right? Was was? What happened there? Was it not a portal into something larger, into this Exodus narrative? And of course it is. But the problem isn't that they read too much into that meal. The problem is they don't read enough into the meal. They viewed that meal as a portal into, this, into another story, but it wasn't, it wasn't a story large enough in scope and Jesus is is insisting it is a por- is not a por- It's not this meal that's a portal into this story. It's a portal into this story, a story with cosmic implications, not just these small political implications that they were going to give it. But no, it's in- it's an entry point into the eternal, to what God is doing cosmos wide. So after these attempts by the people to to get Jesus to uh, uh, to to confirm what they've been trying to see him, who he is, and what they think he's doing, you know, and Jesus keeps coming back at him and saying, "No, you don't get it at all. You don't get it at all." In these verses, it's sort of like a switch gets flipped. It's as if there's this moment where they stopped seeing Jesus as the guy whom they'd flocked to with the people suffering ailments and disabilities. They stopped seeing him as the guy who managed to feed 5,000 with just a couple of loaves and five fish. They stopped seeing him as the guy that they thought they could make king, and they start seeing him as just a guy. They wanted Jesus to confirm that he was this But now they think he's just this, small. Wait, wait, wait a minute, they say. What's his business about being the one who comes down from heaven? I mean, listen, dude, we know your folks. We know Joseph and Mary. Now, it's not immediately clear what Jesus means when he says he is the one. You know, talks about himself as the one who comes down from heaven. There's been a lot of confusion. Uh, In the early church, a movement started up that argued that, you know, what's, Jesus only looked like us. He only looked human. The Gnostics act, believed that he was actually a phantasm composed of a celestial substance. And they pointed to passages like this as evidence. See, he comes down out of heaven. And it wasn't until the year 325 that the church finally says, okay, that belief is just out of bounds. And even though the church ruled it out of bounds in 325, you still still catch remnants of that belief around in different ways. I mean, that's not to say you're going to find yourself in a Bible study with someone who claims that Jesus was a phantasm, composed of celestial substance. And, you know, and if you do, you can tell that person they're a heretic and they shouldn't combine Bible study with psychedelic drugs. It's not a good, not a good combo. It's, I mean, what is a phantasm of celestial substance? Anyway, but what I do mean is that we continue to have a hard time grasping Jesus' humanity. To say he was as human as as you and me, makes us a little uneasy. I mean, it seems to make artists uneasy because often when he's painted, depictions of him, he's kind of human-ish. There's always something otherworldly about our depictions of him. I mean, maybe if Jesus actually looked the way we depict him as looking in our paintings, the crowds might have had an easier time grasping the fact that he says he's the one that comes down out of heaven. They might have looked at him and said, okay, well, uh, not st- sure not, still not sure what you mean, but that explains this glow around your head. Now, I realize that halos and those sorts of things are symbolic. We don't actually think he walked around looking like that. But why do we need to make him symbolic? Paint him like he's a normal person, no shinier or taller, more sanitized or more Swedish than he actually was. I mean, my guess is that Judas would have portrayed, uh, would have preferred betraying Jesus from a distance. You know, I'm sure he would have been like, preferred to go like, okay. You see that glowy guy over there? That's the one you want. We good? All right, I'm out of here. But he can't do that. He can't. He had to make it abundantly clear. He had to make sure you could dis- that they would distinguish between him and the guys next to him. So he had to get right up in Jesus' face and plant a kiss. That's the guy. Judas had to overcome with a kiss what the crowds here suddenly can't get past. He's so much like the rest of us. When he claims to be the one who comes down from heaven, all they can think about are his folks and how he entered the world like the rest of us. what is he talking about? He's come down out of heaven. We know this guy. He's just like us. Now, if I'm Jesus at this point, I'd be tempted to do something like, oh, I'm just like you then. How about this? And just like fireball or something, right? But no, Jesus makes no effort to prove how unlike them he is. In fact, in his response, there's almost an admission that he understands their concern. He says, look, Quit grumbling. This is not whether or not you can see past my ordinariness, my humanity. You can't. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God be taught everyone who has heard from the father and learned from him comes to me in other words Jesus is less of a portal through which we see into the realm of eternity than he is a portal through which eternity comes through to us Jesus is less of a portal through which we see into the realm of eternity, then he is a portal through which the realm of eternity can get to us. You know, it's not just the artistic depictions of Jesus that I have a problem with. I mean, sometimes, you know, when I'm picking music for the service, you know, I look at some of these songs, and... Uh, it's sort of like Glowy Jesus the Musical. I mean, it's, you sense the author must have written this song on the, the best day of their lives because all their troubles have vanished. Everything is a miracle. Everything is just Jesus magic. I don't know if you know that song, Everything is Jesus Magic. It's rather catchy. Uh, and, and I, to be sure, there's a level to which I get it. I, I understand what these songs are doing. There's, the songs are trying to be portals, right? Uh, sometimes when you sing, it can take you from, from here up to here, right? You see things differently, and, and, and uh, you want to give voice to the profound nature of, of Christ's work in you. God can use songs to be portals that bring the realm of the eternal into the ordinary. That can happen but i look at some of these songs and think are we setting people up are we giving them false expectations because so much of life is just ordinary so human small so much of life is lived right here and how this this realm of the eternal is operating it's not clear given the way we depict Jesus in songs and art, given the way that some people talk about their own experience of Jesus, I worry that we'll conclude that ordinary life is a problem. The other day, someone posted a clip of the televangelist Kenneth Copeland at a a pulpit shouting at COVID-19. And like a... Big bad wolf blowing the virus away and then declaring it dead in Jesus' name. I find myself thinking, who in the world believes he just killed the virus by blowing it? Quite frankly, more likely to spread the virus by blowing it. And yet, Kenneth Copeland, you know, he was worth $300 million. Clearly, lots of people are buying what he's selling. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. But I can only assume that they are people who are desperate to believe something other than just that, you know, they're desperate to, to, for something other than their ordinary life. They want a world in which we can Declared a whole virus dead in Jesus' name by blowing on it. We want to escape the sort of messy and mundane of life with some sort of super drama. But you know what? The gospel is this. Here, that God does not share our concerns, our problems, with ordinary life. God entered ordinary life god became an ordinary human we may not be able to see through the ordinary into the realm of the eternal jesus is quite clear that we're not all that good at seeing that but that's okay because the gospel is this that is through the ordinary through an ordinary baby through a man a human being A mammal, God is redeeming all things. God is bringing the eternal into the ordinary. So we live with this tension and it's not a bad tension. It's not a tension we want to get rid of as much as we want to live into. It's it's a good tension the way, uh, you know, a well-tuned instrument has good tension. The goal is to live with this tension in a way that hits the right note. It's this tension between the ordinary on the one hand and the eternal on the other. Reality lived here and the reality reality lived here and the reality that's happening out there beyond the ordinary. We have, in order to live with the tension, of this between these two. We have to embrace the ordinary. The fact that life is ordinary is not a problem. The actual Jesus did not walk around with a halo and so we should not expect ourselves to or our friends to. It's okay. Don't have expectations of super drama in your life. Embrace the ordinariness. It's okay. But don't simply settle for the ordinary. Don't simply conclude that that's all there is, is just ordinary life. No. There is this other reality op- work. That's the other pole on the string. This awareness that God does not shun the ordinary. Eternity can operate in the ordinary, is operating in the ordinary. Whether we see it, don't to live with that tension embracing the ordinary open to the eternal is to live a life in tune with the gospel it's to discover that in ordinary acts of love small demonstrations of courage and everyday displays of generosity God is operating you are the portal that's how it works Jesus is not a six-course meal. Jesus isn't, doesn't offer some fancy metaphor. He says, no, I'm bread. Bread. But not just ordinary bread. He is the bread of life. Life eternal. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen.